welcome. I'm glad that you're here. On the way into all of our services, they hand you the notes, and if you'd like to get those out in just a second, we will jump into the teaching. We're actually in the second week of a new series uh, that we just uh, began called In the Meantime, and I'll, I'll go there in just a, just a moment. Um, let me uh, take one second to um, um, maybe massage it or maybe just um, encourage it. Uh, our ladies' advance is coming up the end of the month. Um, all the stuff that we do that's like the bigger, you know, our, our retreats or a camp or there's a particular mission trip where it's a, a whole church endeavor, I'll take a moment and just talk about it. Um, and Chris and I were talking this afternoon, and she said, hey, would you mind uh, just giving your thoughts? Why would someone want to go to that? Um, and I think a lot of times we try to sell it on music or we try to sell it on a speaker, try to sell it on, hey, you'll have a good time. Uh, all those things, are they make for good retreats, but here's the real reason why. And, and this is what I think why we do any of these things. If we find life change happen in an event, then we do an event the next year. And if we find an event that we're doing that we don't see life change in, one of the things we do is we never feel obligated to prop up a sacred cow. We'll, we'll get rid of something. What we feel like happens at the ladies' events is that a life change will take place. I'll give you, for instance, um, I know early on in, um, in my relationship with God, I came out of a, a very religious um, background. I didn't know Christ. I knew about Christ, but I had a, like tons of rules that were given to me. Or anybody ever go to that church, the rule church? Okay. So I was raised with like a lot of rules, a lot of formality, a lot of um, not really relationship, but, but a lot of formality. And whether you know it or not, it gets into you. And it's, it's a religious spirit that happens to you. You don't recognize it. And the battle then becomes when God wants to bring freedom in your life, you'll find this, this little battle on the inside of you. And you're just like, man, how do I get there? Or I, I don't know what to do. And I remember it was early on uh, at a men's retreat that I had went to that the Lord dealt with me on the issue of grace, God's grace. It changed my life. It changed what I taught. Before that, listen, if, if all you know is the law, what do you think you teach? You teach the law, and you'll do, it in, you'll do it with your children, you'll do it in your marriage, you'll do it with friends, you'll do it when you look at the world. You just don't, it's in you, you don't know it. And one of the ways that God changes us is to put us in an atmosphere where he can break things off of us or soak our hearts to get them to a place where they're open to things. We do things like a retreat so that God has the opportunity for life change. So rather than have you raise your hand, I just want you to rhetorically think about it. How many of you would love for God to do something great in your life? I think everybody here for the most part, yes. You have to position yourself to do that. We make it as easy as possible for you. Uh, we are as cost conscious on things like this as we can be. Um, it is going to be a wonderful opportunity, but I just thought if I were to stand up here and say, why would I encourage you to go? I could say for sure life change takes place at the events that we stand up here and we offer to you. And if you're looking for the opportunity for God to do something in you, position yourself so it can take place. All right, uh, let's go ahead and we'll jump into this real quick. I want to welcome uh, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lone Tee, Lone Tee, Lone Tee. <laughs> Thinking about golf, the Masters. <laughs> uh, our online campus, all of our visitors and all of our friends that are here with us this weekend, uh, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. I really appreciate you being here, and uh, I want you to know you, you mean the world to us. Uh, at your transition point, it's called In the Meantime, and I try to write a sentence uh, with each message, 
uh, series that we teach. Well, it's, uh, somebody taught me this a long, long time ago. I think it was really good advice. Rather than starting at the front of your message and working to the end, the advice that I got was start at the very end. What do you want people to walk away with? What do you want them to know? And then back up and build your message from that. Does that make sense? So I always try to write a sentence down so that when you come, you maybe hear it, you want to tell somebody about it, here would be the sentence you could take with you. It's the portable part of the message. So I think in a sentence, here's what we're trying to teach. Uh, What do you do when there's nothing you can do? And I'll say it again, we began it last week. Some of you heard me say just now, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And that's, that's not it, and it's not just semantics. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What I'm trying to do with this particular series is to create uh, just a category for something that I know happens to all people, but many times, much of the teaching that's out there is just overcome, overcome, push, 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 you know, just believe, have faith, pray your way through it. It's true, it's right. Most of what we teach falls into that category right there, and yet I want to create a category for something I don't think is taught very much, and it's the idea that you can do all of those things, and sometimes you're just in a situation that doesn't change quickly. And for the foreseeable future, you don't see a way that it's going to change. And I said, maybe it manifests itself this way in your life. Maybe it's in a marriage situation where where you're you're with uh, your your husband or your wife over a long period of time, and and the marriage just simply is not what you want it to be or what you were hoping it was going to be, and you don't want to cut and run, you don't want to divorce, you don't want to throw in the towel, and yet when you look at it, if you're just really honest, you feel like, "This, this is not, I don't see this thing changing. There is a category for that. You know that, right? Folks, I deal with that, and I counsel people in that, and I don't think, God, Pastor, what are you trying to say, that that's just the way that it is? What do you do when it's like that? And there's just no easy answer. That's what I'm trying to teach you. So maybe it's finances. some point in your life, maybe you just realize, my hopes and my dreams and what I wanted to have happen for myself financially Uh, It's not happening. And maybe it was no fault of your own, or maybe you made bad mistakes. But regardless, you find yourself in a situation where if you could flip the switch and change it, you'd do it, wouldn't you? We all would. Then that leads to the problem that sometimes you just simply can't switch. And when you look at it for the foreseeable future, you, you just sort of, this is what I'm dealing with right now. There's no easy way out of this. Again, I just want to create a category. Maybe it's health. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something, it's not going to kill you, but they can't cure it. And you have to deal with it over a long period of time. You find yourself, you've tried everything, done everything. The woman with the issue of blood uh, that we read about in Luke's gospel. The Bible says this about her, that she spent all she had and never got better, only worse. And until Jesus entered the situation, she was stuck for 12 years, long period of time. There is a category for it, do you agree? So rather than like put something on you, like, Pastor, are you saying like if we have these things, we're just stuck with them? No. What I'm saying is, what do you do if you are that person? And everything that you're trying with all of your might, and you, you're trusting God, and you're believing God, but you find that, man, I'm stuck right now. I can't do anything about it. And for the foreseeable future, I don't see a way out of this right now. So what about that person? What do you do? So what I got into last week a little bit was the thought that, that it's a critical time that people make mistakes. Because it's at that time that God can seemingly be silent. You're asking, and you're asking a lot, and not hearing very well. And we make three really bad assumptions when God is silent. And here's what we connect it to, and this is where you have to be really careful. God's silence does not equal his absence in your life. 
God's silence does not equal anger or apathy. In fact, Jesus, we looked at John the Baptist last week, and John's situation was a difficult situation. When he was in prison and, and there was no way out of it, he even sent a messenger, his disciples, to Jesus. Are you really the Christ, or should we look for someone else? Jesus said, hey, go back and tell him the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, the kingdom of God is being preached. And then he makes this really, uh, not, not strange like weird, but just out of place. Uh, he, he says, blessed are those who do not stumble because of me. Blessed are those who don't stumble because of me. And the word stumble there is, is to actually mistake or misinterpret and I would say, here's what Jesus is teaching. Don't misinterpret my silence for a lack of action or for anger or for apathy. Don't stumble. Blessed are those who, who don't stumble. And can I, look, just tell, yes or no, when you're going through something that's long-term and not easily, yes or no, that's a place where we stumble. Four of us stumble. <laughs> Folks, I don't know if it's just one of those messages. The amount of email I received this week, um, I don't normally talk about this. The amount of email I received this week, I obviously put my finger on something. So one, one guy was even kind enough to say to me, I realize how difficult that must be for you to stand up there and have to teach that to us. That's what the person said. I realize how difficult that, because it's easier to stand up here and just teach people, just pray harder. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather around and we're going we're gonna to invade the kingdom of hell and take back what's been stolen. Yes? Exciting message. And there is a place for that. Sometimes we find ourselves dealing with something where that simply doesn't answer it. There's just not an easy answer to it. That's the category I want to address. The, the person I want to talk to the one that I want to reach, the couple that I'm trying to put a hand out to, the, the family, the, the one right now whose faith is just being battered, who just feels like it just, maybe for everybody else, but not for me. So I want to reach you. That's who I'm trying to talk to. So we're looking at different people from the New Testament who may have found themselves in situations where it just simply it wasn't easily changed. They were stuck in a situation that when they looked at it, I, I don't see a way that this is going to immediately change. Uh, so last week we looked at John the Baptist. This week I'm going to look at Paul, the Apostle Paul. So uh, in your notes right here, uh, just a brief biography. This isn't meant to be exhaustive. It's not all conclusive. Folks, the message is not like uh, on the history of Paul. But just, just real quickly to give a comparison so that I can then, I'll, I'll put a problem out and then try to solve my, my own problem here. Uh, Paul's life, when you look at his ministry, I think can be broken down into two, two different ministries. So the first part of his ministry, he was exceptionally successful. He was dedicated. The guy's educated. He is on fire. When you think about the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. And you and I are sitting in here right now, likely because of Paul's commitment to Jesus. It's just the truth of the matter. And Paul, I mean, what a fireball. The guy, unbelievable. The first part of his ministry, the miracles that you read about, how God used him. Uh, I taught not, not too distant in the past. Uh, there's a chapter in the book of Acts 19 that says uh, God worked unusual miracles by Paul. That, even the, the definition of that is strange because in my mind, any miracle is unusual. 
And yet here the Bible is drawing a, a comparative of like, no, those are just regular miracles. God did supernatural miracles. With, it's like jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron if you're not. Okay, so. <laughs> so he just, Paul would see incredible things happen. Uh, church planner extraordinaire, every city he went into. So, you know, most of the New Testament is filled with Paul's ministry, quite honestly. So, a, a great example, Acts 19 again. So Paul's in Ephesus. And uh, in Ephesus, they, they worshipped uh, the goddess Diana. And one of the names was Artemis. And Paul uh, has so many converts in this city the, the, the silver merchants would make little statues of the goddess Diana that they would sell. And the Bible just makes this comment. Uh, it was not just a little amount of money that they made. In other words, they're, they're making bank here, man. They are, they are just turning a profit like crazy. So Paul comes into this city. He's there for a couple of years. And while, here's how successful he is. He has so many converts to Christianity that they realize, man, that's a pagan goddess we've been worshiping. Let's turn our back on that. They quit buying these statues. And the, the merchants who sell the statues get so upset that they, they, they go into a riot. And they, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible story. Bottom line, here's, here's how successful he is. He can go in and the commerce of a city is changed. That's a big deal. I mean, it's one thing to have a church where neat things happen. What, I, what if all of Denver was like, got to watch out for Jubilee? They'll mess you up, man. That would be a fun thing to, to have happen. It's this the kind of guy he is. He just, it just incredible. So the first half of his ministry, I would just categorize ultra successful. Uh, of course, like any endeavor, he had ups and downs. But ultra, I mean, just ultra successful. Second half of his ministry. God began to suffer persecution for what he stood for with Christ. Uh, almost, almost that story I just told you about in Ephesus uh, is, is the breaking point when things start really going bad for him. Because it's at that point that they decide to try to intimidate him. And when intimidation doesn't work, then they're going to beat on him. They tried to kill him several times. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable story. Here, again, just little, a little factoid I'll throw out to you. Um, when you're ever in the consideration of, you know, is this real? Are these books real? Are these, these things really happen? If they're trying to convince people to join up, if they're trying to sell us something today, they never put in the fact that if you do this, you could suffer. Think about that. The Bible includes all of the stuff that ever happened to Paul and to other people who believe for Christ. Let me, let me here's Paul's own words, 2 Corinthians. Uh, just listen to this. This is from uh, chapter 11. It's not in your notes. Uh, DJ and I were talking about this uh, a little earlier this week. And DJ said, you ought, to, you ought to include that. Five times, this is Paul, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not once. Not twice. Three times. Nobody else finds I find this hilarious right here. <laughs> because if you're selling somebody something, you don't, you don't say things like this. This is not a guy who's trying to like, hey man, join us, and God will make you rich. He's like, I've been shipwrecked three times. Maybe you could do it four. <laughs> <laughs> three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Listen to this. I spent a night in the, and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles, who he's trying to do ministry to, by the way, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored, toiled, and have often gone without sleep. Sounds like a parent. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches that I love and work with. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I boast, he's boasting on what happened to him. If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus is is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul tells this incredible thought about what's going on in his ministry, and he's not building it up like all of these people were born again or all of these lives. He just talks about the peril that he's in. Pastor, why are you drawing this analogy? So what I want to teach you about Paul, do you believe that God's hand was on Paul's life? I mean, for those of you who believe tonight, do you believe that like everything Paul did, God's directing and God is with him and God, God's for, you believe that? Yeah. And yet, he has unchangeable events in his life that you and I, if it happened to us, I guarantee you, you would go into a time of fasting. We would be like, how did the devil get control of everything going on? Or if I'm serving God, how does this happen to me? I want to create a category for something. So, looking at Paul's life, the fact that he went through things that sometimes just simply it was what it was, it was the price that he had to pay for doing what he was doing. Instead of trying to get out of it, he actually learned how to embrace So, here, here's, listen to me, and I'll give away the nutshell of what I want. If you're in a situation where you, in the foreseeable future, can't change it, If you're in a situation where it's difficult and your back is against the wall. If you're in a situation that you don't like and you do anything to get out of it, but you can't, and you're there. What do you do? I mean, do you shrivel up and die? Do you go into a deep depression and hide? So what do you do? So I'm going to take Paul. I'm going to show you three things that I think that Paul did. They're so... They're evident and they're available, but I think we just read right by them. And I want to show you how Paul handled being in this situation because I think it's important for us to look at. Maybe we could model, here's what Paul even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Maybe these are things, what I'm about to say to you, maybe this is what we should be imitating in our life. Fair? So let me give you three things that I think Paul just demonstrated. Number one, Regardless of what he was going through and the fact that it couldn't change, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? First of all, the way that he talked was really remarkable. So, so let, me, let me throw this out. Um, if you don't know anything about Paul, part of, uh, of his letters that we have now in the New Testament, part of those were written from prison. And they're actually called the prison epistles. They were letters while he was sitting in prison that he wrote to different churches that he started. Uh, he's in prison because uh, Rome 
has put him in this situation, and they've locked him away. And by the way, uh, Nero is the emperor at this time, and this is the same guy who would use Christian as torches to light his garden. So this is not a good situation that Paul is in. Yes, I, it's, it's history. Not something pastor's making up. So Paul's in this situation where he's in prison. He's going to end up being uh, eventually judged for this. The state of Rome at this time is very hostile to Christians. They, they kill them by the thousands, tens of thousands. Paul knows where he's going. Uh, Paul is held prisoner by Rome, and yet when he writes his prison epistles, he'll begin the letters this way. Uh, Philemon. It's Philemon chapter 1, verse 1, is a prison epistle. Paul's writing it from prison and begins his letter. Look at this. I, Paul, a prisoner of who? So I want you just to think about this for a minute. Did Jesus put Paul in prison? Did Jesus show up with handcuffs like, hey, Paul, this is, this is what I have for you? So Rome did this to him, correct? But Paul saw this a part of, hey, this, God's got my life in his hands. God's in control of what's going on with me right now. I, look, I know this is one of these messages not everybody's going to be able to accept. I know it already. It would be easier for me to teach. Listen, if you find yourself in this situation, you fast and you pray. You stand strong. It'd be much easier to do that. I'd get much more happy looks. <laughs> but the way he understood his life was absolutely, I, I just think it's so, instead of seeing, instead of in the beginning, I, Paul, the prisoner of a wicked nation who is hassling, pressuring, torturing, and pushing me around. Now write this of my own free accord. Paul did not see his life that way. He didn't see his circumstances that way. He didn't see what he was going through as the enemy or Rome or anybody else has their way with me. He writes it this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Wow! That's weird thinking. Yes or no? I bet the last time you were under pressure, you didn't think to yourself, I, Chris, the prisoner of John. <laughs> I wanted to use someone else, but I could get in trouble. With you, I know you'd have mercy on me. <laughs> Ephesians. Ephesians, one of the most famous books in the Bible. I mean, you, you talk about a stake that lets a believer know who they are, how to live. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Paul, from prison, writes these words. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? For the sake of you Gentiles. In other words, Paul knew my ministry is called to the Gentiles. Because of that, I'm being persecuted. The devil is fighting me, but the devil's not in control. I'm in this situation because God has allowed me to be in this situation. That's what's going to be hard for people to hear about this message. Because we want to think it's good versus evil. And God would not allow anything that would be difficult in my life. And God who loves you. And as a plan and a purpose for you, by the way, here's how we pray. God, please reveal your plan and purpose for me. I want to hear your voice. I want your will for my life. And here's what we really mean. God, I need a new Mercedes. And I don't want any problems. And when it comes our way, man, we are so unprepared for it. And we tell ourselves, yeah, something must be wrong. So let me just say it this way. What you say about what is happening reveals what's going on in your heart. Yeah. 
at the time. So look at this scripture real quick. Check this out. Uh, this, this is like uh, Jesus. It's Matthew 15. It's familiar scripture. Um, the words you speak come from the heart. And that is what defiles a person. So the words you speak come from the heart. And that's what ends up defiling a person. What you speak about what's going on around you, when it gets into your heart, the way it comes out of your mouth is exactly how you see whether or not God's in control or not. And if what you do is curse everything going on around you all the time, it, it literally explains why we end up withering and dying when it's difficult because we don't see God as having any control in it whatsoever. We think our lives are just going to hell in a handbasket, the devil's in control now. What you say is revealing what's going on in your heart. And here's the deal. Two people could go through the exact same thing and have two different opinions about it. One can go, man, my life, it's just, th- th- what, this is not even worth serving God. While the other one is like, man, God's doing something awesome. I may not see it right this second, but it's not all about right this second. So how do you, what's the, it's all, his ability to take in and to categorize it in the right way, the way that he talked about it, was just simply powerful. I know this. When I go through difficulties, especially ones that are long-term, that cannot be changed, when I curse it with my mouth, it's amazing how everything around me becomes barren and dry. You think it stays just in the thing you're talking about, That's not how a spiritual principle works. Blessing and cursing cannot flow from the same place. It's either one or the other. Your your ability to have in your mouth the power of life and death, people do not understand this, but what you're saying about your marriage is creating an atmosphere that you will eat the fruit of eventually. And over a long period of time, that's why this is, so, it's, we, we, this is just so horrible. It's so bad. This person is so right. I need a new one. I, I, how did I get this one? You're cursing it, and you're not giving, there's, you're creating no opportunity for any seed to bring back any fruit that's good. But you are putting bad seed in the ground, and you will eat the bitter fruit of that. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. The, the, the power of life and death is found in the tongue, and those who understand it will eat the fruit of it. If you get it, you can create good fruit or bad fruit. And some of us are just like, words aren't that powerful. That, that may be the dumbest thing you can think. Words are unbelievably powerful. The lie we were told as kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never. That's a lie, yes or no? My goodness, that's a lie. So even if you think to yourself, okay, so I just don't, I, I just, or I'll keep my mouth shut. Even that's not enough. You've got to speak what God says about it. Here's what Paul could do. He didn't see himself as out of luck, down and out, as simply unfortunate. He could speak what he knew God. I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus. God, that, I guarantee you, two people in jail next to each other could have two completely different outcomes. What we really want is, how do I keep myself out of those situations? Anybody in the room know anybody? 
that ever went, yeah, yeah, I know someone, that ever went through a really difficult, long-term hard time. You know what that's called? Life. And it does happen. It does happen. So, give me the second one. Talk about Paul. So how he talked was one. How he thought, again, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if, if the Lord bothered to include this in the Bible, rather than just reading it for history's sake, read it so that you do it. So how he thought, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 8 and 9. So Paul writes these really powerful words. Uh, you know, here's the guy, he didn't deny what was going on, but he just had a different point of view about it. So look at this. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. So he admits the truth of it, but then instead of letting it beat him, he's, so I'm pressed on every side by troubles, but I'm not crushed. You ever know somebody that was so positive you hated them? Yes. <laughs> no, be, and let's be honest about this. So I knew a guy, um, he started a church, roughly the time we started a church, and it seemed to me, the guy never, I mean, started, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a hard endeavor. And all the guys that I would hang out with, we'd get together and talk about how hard it was. This guy would come in and tell us how great everything. And here's the thing. I knew it wasn't as good as what he was saying. I knew it. But what I finally got in my mind, whether the guy was dealing with reality or not, that was not, here's what the guy decided to do. Why should I sit here and just badmouth it and curse it and just get into this. So he would just come in and talk about the good things that God was doing. Thank you, all six of you who got offended. Excited. All right, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. So what if he just did it this way? Okay, read it. Here's how most people would have written this. We're pressed on every side by trouble. We are perplexed. We're hunted down. We get knocked down. How many of you would feel encouraged by reading that right there? <laughs> We'd relate to it in a way. But that, what I love about it is that when he writes it, he writes the other side of it. The way he thought was completely different. Listen to this. The battle for your life. For the one that you, your physical life, the battle for your joy, the battle for your prosperity, the battle for your future, it is fought right here. Look at me. It's fought on the six or eight inches right here. The battlefield for your life is your mind. Now listen to this. Whoever wins that battle controls your future. This is a battle you must win, you must fight it, you must think correct. This is the power of a renewed mind. So Paul, Romans chapter 12, 2, reveals maybe the most powerful truth, transformed people is what transforms nations. Transform people, transform cities, transform people, transform families. And you must be transformed. By having a mind that's renewed in Jesus. Yes or no? And this, this, Paul had this, he had it down to a T because he could write, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. That's transformative thinking. What's not transformative thinking? We are crushed. <laughs> we are beat. We are dead. It is not worth going forward. 
Whoever wins the battle for the renewal of your mind controls your life, your future, your peace. Ultimately, it'll control your destiny. And I didn't say heaven and hell. You can die and your passport is stamped heaven because of the work of Jesus, but the life you had here and now was not good. How do you know you need transformation in your thinking? Folks, for 18 years, I have taught this over and over and over and over again. I I teach it not just for you, but to remind myself all the time. You know you need transformative thinking if you have any other thought about God's will for your life other than God's will for me is good, pleasing, and perfect. Did you just hear what I said? Any other thought outside of that, even when you look at your life and you're like, no, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. This is not good, it's not pleasing, it's not perfect. That's why you, that's the proof that you need transformation in your thinking. So Romans 12, too, I don't know if they pulled it up, but just look at it real quick. When your mind is renewed, here's what Paul says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, and here's God's will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. It's good, pleasing. So if you stand here and you just go simply, ah, that's not true, you need transformation in your thinking. Your mind needs renewed. And here's, I'll just tell you this, without renewal, all we have is an argument back and forth between each other. And an argument will never convince you of anything. Do you agree? So you can argue. This, this is why you could go to tell somebody about Jesus. If all you have is an argument, they have an argument too. Where the power of the gospel, this is what breaks through, and it can change a mind. Transformative thinking. By the way, Paul, Romans chapter 12 is not written to the world. It's written to a church. So here's what he's saying. You can be born again, love Jesus, go to heaven, but your mind still has to be renewed. And then if you want one other, just like a freebie, right? Here's a freebie. You don't get it renewed one time but it's a continual process of renewal because the moment you don't pay attention, the devil will try to take that ground back from you. And something that you were successful in at one point in your life, you'll find yourself not doing later on because you gave that ground back up. Am I? Okay, all right, last one. So um, how he talked, how he thought, here's just how he lived. It's how he lived his life. Again, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I think these things are put in here so that we look at them creating a category for a person who might be dealing with something that simply is not easily fixed. So let me give you Paul's not easily fixed situation. 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, that sentence right there, in and of itself, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful sentence, but what's, what's the therefore? What's the... What's the thing that's, that's happened? What, what has been given to him in order to keep him from becoming conceited? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan that torments me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, this sentence. For when I am weak, then I'm actually strong. So listen to me. I, when I say this, I know 
not everybody's going to be able to receive this. But do you want to know what this is actually? This is a mature believer. And it's supposed to be the place that we're all headed to. So the way that he looks at this thorn in the flesh, this was given to me so that I wouldn't become conceited. He doesn't say this was given to me because God abandoned me. God rejected me or because I've sinned or because God doesn't love me or because my life now doesn't count. Does not see it that way. Let's be honest with I mean, how difficult is it to see life like this? This is not easy. So an explanation too. He says, three times I asked the Lord. I would just throw this out to you. Um, ask the Lord about any situation until he answers you. So Paul prayed three times. Here's what I think it's saying to us. Twice he got the silence of God. On the third time he got the answer. And once he got the answer, it settled the issue with him. Okay. It is what it is for now. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. And I'm not going to pout. And I'm not going into depression. And I'm not quitting my ministry. And I'm not threatening God. And I'm not disappearing. And I'm not done. Here's what I'm going to do. With everything that's going on, I'm actually going to start boasting in these things. Because when I'm weak, he's actually lifted up. I mean, here's what it means. If you can find a person in difficulty, really worship God and not give up. You've got something that is so genuine and real. Nobody, it's not an argument now. Now it's transformative. Now it's transformative. Again, so my, my close would not be, okay, so for those of you who um, are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, stand to your, it's not, you don't have to do that. If those things are going to happen, you don't have to go out and try to find them. Do you get what I mean by that? It's not it. Really, I think what the close is, it's just more of an opportunity to say, God, maybe I've got between where I am and where you want me to be, there's a stretch here that I need to grow and I need your grace and I need your mercy, which is exactly what Paul said helped him do it. My grace is sufficient for you. It's not a message you could listen to and go home and say, okay, I'm going to do that. Here's what you need. God, I need your grace to help me do this. I need your grace. And then count on the Lord to do it. And again, I know it's not rah-rah. I know it's not, you know, pastor, let's get in a line and pray for, to suffer. I, there's a category, if you're honest with yourself, where we just simply can't answer every question that happens to us. And what are you going to do with it? Is that your quitting point? Is that your crisis of faith? Is that your turn back moment? Was that your watershed where I can't go forward and this event just stopped everything in my life? Because it does happen to people like that, trust me. When people decide to quit, it's a watershed that they'll point to. This moment in time happened to me. So what will you do with it? What will you do with it? Father, we just want to put ourselves in the place where the Holy Spirit can speak to us. And I realize, folks, not everybody finds themselves in a situation this weekend where this message is like, it's right where I'm living. I'm 
trying to create a category for something that's not often talked about. Maybe for some of you, it's right where you're at. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I wish you would have taught this three years ago. And maybe for some of you, maybe it's just a tool to put in a toolbox for someday. Maybe it's a project for later. It's all good. It's all good. However the Holy Spirit needs and works and formulates this in your life, man, all I'm asking you to do is, God, here I am. Transformation is what I seek, God. I want to mature, become like Christ. I want to follow the example that's been put in front of me. If you're a believer, that should be your goal. Again, this is not total theology. You don't need to just live your whole life like trouble, trouble, trouble. But what do you do when you have trouble? So may the Lord just be able to speak and work and hold and minister and do what he wants to do in you. And I appreciate you listening to me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how we'd like to respond to this tonight. Uh, our intercessors that we have uh, asked to help us pray, if you'll come on forward right now and just uh, go ahead and stand up here. Uh, folks, if anything that I talked about in the message is something that you would like prayer for, the people that are coming up to the front right now will be here to pray with you. If there's something else that maybe was outside of the message that you'd like prayer for, uh, these people are not just praying about one thing. They'll pray about anything with you. And if you're in a situation of like, hey, pastor, um, I don't feel the Lord telling me I need prayer for anything. Have an awesome weekend. We bless you. Uh, Pastor Terry's going to come right now and dismiss our service. I bless all of you. If the Holy Spirit says something to you, don't be in a hurry to rush out. Wait and act upon what the Holy Spirit tells you to do.